to another episode of CQP Moments. As always, I'm your host, the Coupon Queen Pen. I have an amazing guest and he went from one end of the spectrum to the other. And if you want to know what I mean, you're going to have to stay tuned in. So let's take a moment out and I'll be right back with Chris. So guys, like I was saying, I have Chris Duffin and he's known as the mad scientist of strength. So Chris, please introduce yourself to my listeners. Hey, uh, Chris Duffin here. <laughs> and uh, um, I'm not sure how much of uh, my background you want me to cover, but I'm looking forward to uh, some good conversation today. I cover the topics of everything related to building strength or resilience of body, mind, and soul. Oh, he's being really, really modest. Like, okay. Okay. All right. I'll, yeah, I'll do the longer. I'll do the longer pitch. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, um, I'm a uh, best-selling author of the book, The Eagle and the Dragon, which is a uh, kind of a harrowing but uh, inspiring story of an unusual life uh, that I've had, uh, particularly in my early upbringing, uh, growing up homeless in the wilderness, uh, overcoming incredible obstacles around. Uh, dealing with uh, murderers, serial killers, uh, human trafficking, all sorts of stuff, taking custody of my three younger sisters and raising them, uh, becoming a corporate executive, doing turnarounds in the aerospace and automotive manufacturing world, and then um, also lifting lots of weights during the course of my life, uh, setting uh, multiple world records. I hold the Guinness World Record for the most amount ever sumo deadlifted. I'm the only person in history that is both squatted a thousand pounds and deadlifted a thousand pounds and have done it for reps, which is wait, wait, in a movie what? that's going to be coming in a movie. Uh, the documentary on the, that process will be coming out next year. Um, and uh, and six years ago, I walked away from that corporate career and founded my own companies, uh, which are built around this building resilience. And I built a globally recognized brand within a matter of a few years. So Kabuki Strength, we work with 90% of all professional sports teams in North America, like 29 of 30 major league baseball teams, for example. Uh, any college that you can think of, uh, 600 plus more. So if you follow sports of any level, your athlete is probably using our stuff. If you watch any action movies, they're probably lifting with our stuff on the set, uh, The Rock, uh, has like eight of our bars, for example. Um, Thor from G Game of Thrones, who's one of the best lifters in the world as well. LeBron, the rest of the starting line, you name it. So, uh, and uh, so all my stuff is kind of built around uh, improving biomechanics using my background's engineering. That's why I worked in automotive and aerospace. And uh, so I bring some pretty unique concepts with a meld of physical therapy, biomechanics, and a whole lot of uh, neurology kind of based stuff from developmental kinesiology uh, that uh, I have uh, from a very eclectic uh, background of uh, education. <laughs> so that's what I do. Okay. Uh, I told you guys he was being, you know, he's being modest. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. You go from basically raising your siblings by yourself and experiencing 
homelessness, like, I know we always he- often hear, and I, I don't like to say it this way because we often hear it and then we think of the Lifetime movies, but this was your life. Yeah, it your was, life. and it's, it, it was interesting. I mean, outside of the traumatic events of like some of the highlight things I missed there, it wasn't a bad experience. It was just different. I mean, if you go back a hundred years or 150 years, it's more like what we, we lived. It was my, my parents, uh, they, they were really smart uh, individuals. So I, my father was a member of Mensa. My mom was going to school to be a chemical engineer and was top of her class, but she just didn't want to be part of society. And she's like, I'm going to figure out how to make a path outside of it. And so that's what we grew up in. And so a lot of it was, you know, half of it was homeless in the wilderness. The other half was, you know, living in a, in a shack or a home that maybe didn't have running water or electricity or either or doors or things like that. It, uh, it got pretty stable by high school. As far as like the home situation, we had a, a mobile home that had running water and electricity. It just wasn't, you know, the wind would blow through the windows and there was no doors in the house. And we had to frame up some two by fours uh, for, to put a sink so we could have a kitchen in, but it was stable. And, uh, but uh, when I left, things got like way worse. And so I ended up taking custody of my sisters to get them out of that environment. Uh, Cause there so, was- Okay, of... how many of you were there? I had uh, um, one younger brother and three sisters. And I lost my, my, my brother, um, I mean, he's still alive, but uh, kind of, I wasn't able to, I don't know, create, save or create a, a platform for him to be successful or whatever you want to call that. But uh, I was able to step in for my sisters who are younger than him and be able to allow them the space to and time to be able to develop uh, into being successful adults. Wow. Okay. But how old were you when you just like when you left home and then became guardian to your sisters? Oh, well, I left home just when I graduated high school at 18. And I took custody of my first one of the three when I was 21. And then I had them from basically 21 to probably about 30, 29, somewhere in there, uh, them through all their teenage years. Wow. You you go back, you know, and, and I want to talk about, you know, that earlier life, it's, said it wasn't bad but it's just like you imagine like six years old you know we're living up in the mountains in the middle of northern california no one around there's no road into where we're at because we're just like camping by some stream and and by camping i mean like there's rattlesnake dens all around so we have beams lashed up into the trees and that's where our bedding is because we we need to protect ourselves from a rattlesnake right right and i'm six years old so I'm running around and playing and I'm being taught how to capture and handle live rattlesnakes by hand. So you want to talk about like, yes, at six years old, uh, holding live rattlesnakes in your hand, like, you know, pinching that's pinching it right behind the jaws. So it's, you know, it can't bite and while it wraps around your arm and uh, just, just a different, different upbringing. You want to, you want to take a bath or a shower. It's filling up a gallon jug in the stream and letting it sit in the sun um, fishing, uh, just, it's just a different environment. So, 
So you really um, learned that mountain life that, you know, yeah, like, I, 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 I the kind of stuff we learn in Bear grills, but, you know, <laughs> we don't venture to do ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So it was a mixture of that. And then like, you know, again, like, you know, living in a, you know, some sort of shack or something like that uh, during the, the school year in some like some small remote town in Northern California or later in Eastern Oregon. I mean, we were taken by the state for a while. And that's when kind of lost my brother uh, in that process. Oh, okay. And then because <clears throat> he had a different father and his father uh, uh, took him at that time. And that actually wasn't a good thing, but that's a whole nother thing that doesn't need to really trail. It doesn't need to be gone into. Understood. And then my parents, you know, we were living in Northern California because they were, you know, the only way to make a living out there was to, to grow wheat. So that's why we were up in the, the boonies in Northern California. So if anybody watches the, uh, the documentary Murder Mountain. You you'll see what I'm talking about in my book when I talk about police corruption, serial killers, people disappearing, all sorts of like. We were 50 miles from that, uh, deeper in, <laughs> and uh, and then later, so when we, they got us back, they got out of the drug trade, and we ended up in the Eastern Oregon, and they you know, got into mining and other stuff to try to figure out how to make ends meet, which, yeah, it was always a struggle. <laughs> so, okay, you go from that to living on your own, having your sisters, basically becoming a parent overnight. And when do you start on this journey to being a businessman and starting taking care of your body because I, I mean I can understand how living you know in the wilderness would do that for you but what made you say okay you know what I'm it's it's about maintaining your body and neurology yeah. and all this stuff yeah it's a it's a long journey but uh I it started you know we were a very physical family you know you're talking about you know working crops logging, mining, you know, early on, I was, you know, tons of weight packed on my backpack, hiking out of canyons uh, type of stuff. But we were, as I mentioned, my parents were really intelligent. And the only thing that we had to entertain ourselves was going in, you know, every month or so to the town and getting to the library and stacks of books, like reading was everything. So I started, I was really good at school. So I was actually, I was valedictorian in my high school. And, but you know, it was in 1988, you know, just as I was getting into my, <clears throat> my teen years, I'm like, I, I need to balance, you know, this like nerdy intellectualism. And I was just an introvert, no friends, no whatever, lack of social confidence, because I didn't have a lot of interaction, honestly, with people and, you know, kids and whatnot, and was made fun of because I wore dirty clothes and my toes were sticking out the side of my shoes and things like that. And I'm like, I'm going to lift, I'm going to lift weights. So I just, yeah, I got some ankle weights. I started doing push-ups till I couldn't move and jump squats till I couldn't move. And then in high school, I got access to the gym. And so that is just kind of been part of my life the whole time. But then I've been this intellectual side. So I went to, uh, I, I got scholarships to go to school and I'm like, I'm, I have to make this happen. I, there's no way out. Like I'm right, watching, right, right. I mean, I'm watching, you know, people die around me. Like I'm watching people go to prison. I'm watching, you know, people turn to drugs. I see all this. I'm like, I, I've got an opportunity here and I'm going to go for it. And 
I, I wrote an article actually to get to college. I applied for a bunch of scholarships and one of them was this um, newspaper, um, the uh, Central Oregon newspaper where we, you know, kind of the, that part of the state. And they turned me down for the scholarship, but they wrote a piece on me. It was a front page article, a big picture of me and, and uh, some donations rolled in and I got picked up by the wire service. So it went around like all over the Northwest on the big newspapers and Wow. Uh, about this, about this essay that I wrote about my life. And uh, I ended up getting a call from a college and like, Hey, we're going to get you down here. We're going to take care of you. Uh, we've got some, we figured out how to, you know, get some funds in place. And so I'm like, I'm all over this. And so I went down there, I was down in Southern Oregon and started working on a dual engineering degree. Cause again, that's just kind of like what I do is just like dive into details on things. But I started working full time too, because I'm like, uh, there's no money coming from home. You know, uh, tuitions pay. There's still no fallback plan. There's no nothing. So right, right. Uh, so that's just, and that's all I knew growing up was like work, 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 work. You know, like I was working when I was young, like trying to you know get money to help out the family. Um, that was just, uh, it's just what I've always done. And so I just uh, started cranking to it, and and. Uh, and so went to school for those engineering degrees and I, I got this, these jobs and I started like becoming, you know, supervisor. And then I got my first like professional job and I was still working and uh, I was still in college uh, finishing up my, my senior project. And I was this manager at this window and door company manufacturer. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Like people like trust me and I'm this quiet guy. I'm not like what a leader is supposed to be. I'm not up in front of buddy every rah, 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 all this sort of stuff. But I, I formed good connections and got good results. And, and I just kept going in that career. And next thing you know, I'm like, I'm this executive. <laughs> I'm like sought after to come in and like fix companies or come in and prep them for sale or take them from a regional to a, a you know, a national or international presence. And, uh, and that's what I did. So I developed, it took me, you know, a while to get to that level. And then I spent probably 10 years doing that. And at the same time I was like lifting. So that's always been there. That's what <laughs> I was going to ask. I'm like, wait, so yeah. how do we get from lifting to being, you know, Mr. High tech engineer, like somehow yeah, I, yeah. So, those two well, worlds we're, 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 we're getting, we're getting there. We're getting there. So uh, I'm, I'm lifting, I'm pretty strong. And I, I basically build my own gym from scratch and it becomes a, a gym that be, ends up being open to the public. And we're training like high level strength athletes out of there. And I do it in the evening and I'm trying to be the best in the world, uh, honestly, at the time. And I was up there in that class and I started going, you know, I see injuries in myself and other people. And I'm like, there's a connection here between the stuff that's happening and all the surgeons and people I go to are like, Oh, there's a knee problem. Let's fix your knee. Uh, there's an elbow problem. Let's fix your elbow. And I'm like, there's, there's something more. So I'm like, I started taking clinical education, continuing education courses. Ah, okay. <laughs> and then next thing you know, I'm in these courses and I'm talking to some, I'm, I'm meeting the people that are writing the books that are being used in the schools. And I start talking to them and they're like, Oh, Hey, you're, you get this stuff and actually you apply it. And somehow like these people end up becoming my friends and I end up actually presenting with them. So here I am, I don't have a degree in this field. 
but I'm working alongside and speaking alongside the best spine biomechanist in the world, the most well-respected physical therapist in the world, the, you know, the person that brought like a cornerstone, you know, piece of education on developmental kinesiology to the United States, like all these. And I start like developing this, formulating this process in my head, this approach because a lot of what they did was in the research world or in the rehab and recovery world with a lot of sedentary populations. And I'm like, how does this work with like athletes, like people that are out there really doing stuff, right? And what are the breakdowns and how do we actually see and fix it before they ever even get there, right? And uh, so I started just producing content online because I started seeing these gaps in like what was going on in the fitness industry. And I started putting out videos and next thing you know, I'm getting messages from people around the world like, oh, my God, you changed my life. You got me out of pain. I thought I was going to be suffering from back pain for the rest of my life. And and uh, and I'm like, I, and that's what I love about my work, too. So my leadership stuff and why I did good is I love helping people like achieve and beyond and achieve success more than they ever thought possible. And and uh, at one point I, I was just at the point I'm like, this is what I this is what I'm meant to do in the world. Wow. I was building, I was building tools based around. So now I had this principles around how we move uh, and under load and how we load and, and how we assess and make the corrections before we even move into like a rehab scenario or even a, a normal assessment scenario to be able to do it in the moment. And then I'm like seeing gaps in the equipment and I'm like, we're trying to shove okay. everybody through the same process. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's change the tools. Let's, let's free them up so that they can rapidly accommodate from one person to another, because they have different leverages, they have different mobility restrictions, they have different uh, needs and be able to, to, to do that. And, and we need to be able to get the joints in the right position so that the system can work the way that it needs to. So that we're not putting on stress that we can't adapt to and we're getting in the right positions that we got the right length tension relationship of the muscles around the joint and get into some complexity here. But I started bringing these, it's like, this is what I'm meant to do. So I walked away from that career. I, which wasn't an easy move. Like I was secure. I made lots of money and I had to, to launch my own business in manufacturing and manufacturing in the U S um, and not having investors is not an easy deal. So. Right. Right. So how did you get around? I, uh, I put my ass on the line. <laughs> I, uh, I took out the retirement that I'd been building for almost 20 years and cashed it in. I sold the, the homes that I had. I put, took on personal liability of millions of dollars that, so that if I failed <laughs> um, and went back to my old career, I'd still be living in an apartment the rest of my life, paying back okay, and, okay. Uh, and uh, launched, uh, launched Kabuki Strength, which was the first company. And it, uh, it's, like I said, grown to a, a globally recognized brand since then. And, um, and then uh, more recently, uh, the last couple of years launched Barefoot, as in bear. Think about a kid running around the, shoe, the wilderness with no shoes. Uh, a minimalist shoe company, because I do a, a massive amount on, uh, on foot mechanics and uh, build fast formula which is my supplementation uh, uh, regimen and things that I, that work with all this process. And um, yeah, that's, uh, that was like, it was scary and it was, 
there's a lot that I threw a lot more in the line than just that. Like I changed nearly every aspect of my life, uh, essentially in that, uh, that process. Well, but, yeah. I mean, you, your retirement, all of your properties, that's a lot on the line, even with liability. I mean, that's a lot on the line. It is. Well, it was, I don't know if you call it a midlife crisis or whatever, but it was it's the second half of my book, right? Uh, so the first half is the, the Eagle. It's the, being able to fly to whatever heights that you that you can to realize whatever your strengths are in this world and your capabilities, uh, realizing that the only thing limiting you is yourself. And the second half of the book is what I call the dragon. It's the Ouroboros. It's the uh, the snake or dragon that's eating its own tail. It is the continual renewal of oneself, or as I think about it the purposeful reinvention. It's deciding specifically who you want to be in this world and becoming that. And I saw areas of my life that I was living the values that I had, but not all of them. I was letting them go. And I, I wanted to have passion about everything that I was doing in life. And I was not passionate anymore about the competitive lifting that I was doing, even though I was one of the best lifters in the really? world. Really? Yeah. Uh, and I had a, a comfortable, easy marriage. Uh, with no arguments, but there was, it was, there was no passion. There was no nothing there. And so uh, at the same time, I quit my career over the, you know, the next year or two, you know, I started looking at the relationships and things that I had in my life and evaluating those and making changes. I exited competitive lifting and uh, said, I want to go out and do something that just really excites me and that proves uh, what I'm capable of and demonstrates the principles that I teach to the uh, to the end of the degree. And I also, you know, putting my kids first, uh, but still uh, walk through through a divorce uh, in this process as well. So it was it was a pretty trying time. Wow, that's um, a lot of change in a small period of time. It is. It is. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's uh, the family is is kept uh, really really tight and good. Um, you know, my, my ex-wife, she's a good friend and she lives just, uh, uh, less than five minutes away. And I, it, when I was 40 years old, I thought I was just going to be a single dad, but, uh, ended up finding love for the first time in my life. And wow, that's wait, a, wait, wait, that, wait, wait. that is up, like up, a crazy hold, thing. So hold on, hold on. Okay. I know you guys are listening to this, but okay. Ladies, I have seen the cover art for this book. Okay, this guy looks like he bench presses fire trucks. Okay, what do you mean <laughs> at forty? I thought you were like I, something. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm uh, well. Actually, on the cover of the book, I'm yeah. I'm probably I can't remember. There was a uh, that was around uh, early forties. Actually, I'm forty four. Uh, so, um, but uh, I'm pretty pretty good shape. You know, I can pass for a, I can pass for a model if I want to. Actually, I do that. <laughs> but yeah, okay, uh, <laughs> and and not not to say anything, ladies and gentlemen. I saw a recent picture of him. He again being modest, being modest, because I really still thought you were in your thirties. <laughs> well, thank you, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I like I always thought that love was like you know, that you see in movies or read in books was just like, you know, some like mythical thing and wasn't like real. You just find a comfortable relationship and, and uh, wow, that freaking knocked my socks off to discover like, Oh, holy shit. 
that's a real thing. I, I that sent me for a loop. So, uh, so uh, yeah, here I am in my mid forties with a uh, a third child now too. So, um, but uh, uh, so the so competitive lifting. The What's that? I said. So you got past the Disneyfication of it all. The the Disney effect, know you know, the happily oh. ever after. <laughs> I, uh, I enjoy every day with my wife, man. It is, uh, it's an amazing ride. So, but, um, yeah, so, uh, and that's where the, the thousand pound squat and deadlift came from. Those were, I'm like, I want to do something just so insanely over the top. I want to, I want to not only do a thousand pounds, I want to do it for reps and I want to do it in these two lifts that are, nobody's ever done both of them before. They're specialists. Like, that have done like five or six people that have done one the squat and five or six people that have done the deadlift, but nobody's ever done both uh, because a you know a big cornerstone of what I do and teach the largest global impact is actually control uh, you know control of the, the the spine and torso because that's the greatest global impact on the body. Okay. Second next okay. being the foot, which is why uh, the the shoe company as well because I do a lot with uh, uh, foot mechanics, but. Um, Anyway, that's where it came from. And I, I did them both for reps, actually, by the way. So I'm the only person that's done that, too. So Wow. Okay, about <laughs> this shoe yeah. company, is it just, sh like, shoes in general? Are you doing sneakers, you know, hiking? So they're, um, they're what we call minimalist shoes. So they have, it's more of like a moccasin, except mine actually look, like, good. You can wear with clothes and be, like, not look like you're, I don't know how to say it, but, like, uh, there's a lot of minimalist shoe companies out there that are just so hippie or patchouli oil looking, which isn't as a bad thing. Like I live in Portland, like those are some of my friends too. But I, if, if I wore them, my, my wife wouldn't have sex with me. <laughs> and I know that's the case with a lot of other people too. Let's just say it has that aesthetic. And uh, I don't so think I've the, ever heard patchouli oil used as an adjective. <laughs> so, but uh so uh, the, the foot somehow you know the foot is interesting because every part of the body you know generally anybody even if you're not in the fitness knows that if you use your body it becomes stronger it be it can tolerate you know stress like and to do that you need to move it and and add load and so like what would happen if you every morning you woke up and wrapped a, a, a tight belt, a, a lifting belt around your waist and wrapped right, your elbows right. and your knees and then went about your day? What would happen? You would get weaker and cause damage and actually the stuff around your body would stop working right. Right, right. We go, somehow we go, well, that's the case for everything in the body except for the foot. Except for the foot. We shouldn't use the foot. We should package it up. We should build supports in because it can't work on its own. It can't be, it can't be strong in support. And what is that? And that actually leads to a lot of dysfunction. And so I'm not saying people need to be run around barefoot or even run around wearing minimalist shoes, but you need to actually get out of shoes on occasion fairly regularly, several times a week and use your foot and, and, and strengthen it and be able to control the foot and ankle complex and shoes in general. A lot of them have a pointier toe in them. Um, and people may not realize it, but it pulls that foot forward inward and it starts deforming it over time. And there's a huge things that happen uh, around how you control the hip that happened through the foot. And so being able to open that up. So with you want a shoe that has what we call an open, uh, a wider toe box, it allows that splay of the foot 
And we don't want to, and if you, and the reason that, that we have like arch supports and shoes is literally because they do that. And as it do it, you lose the ability now to actually control your foot. So um, if you, anybody gets in a squat position, squat down and grab your big toe with bare feet and pull it, you know, in towards your other toes. And then you'll see that if you move your, your knee around that it moves and falls inward super easy. But if you grab that big toe and like forcibly pull it out and plant it down and do the same test again, you'll see that all of a sudden you have really amazing control of where the knee and hip are. And so shoes actually, all these things are band-aids, like the arch supports and all this because of the, you know, this, the, the raised heel, like all these things, a heel comes from the, it's a history. In footwear, we used to ride horses. And so right, you had right, to have right. a heel for the stirrup and then it became fashion. And then running shoes came out and everybody was walking around and elevated. So they literally, this is Nike. The person that suggested this admits it today that is the worst mistake he's ever made um, was wow. suggesting, well, you know, people are going to hurt themselves. So let's put it, let's go ahead and put the raised heel in our running shoes because people are going to go out and go running and not have full, you know, range of motion of their calf because they haven't been using it. So this will reduce injuries. So we continue to, to, to do this stuff. And then we have a whole industry, the orthotics industry that is built on completely false premises, that it's like something that is scientifically going to help you when a meta analysis of all the studies done on orthotics show that it does nothing more than temporary relief. So it's like, if your wow. elbow hurts, if your elbow hurts and you wrap your elbow and it feels better, yeah, that's okay for a little bit, but that's not going to be the long-term fix. And that's exactly what it shows. It offers temporary relief in a six to eight week period of time and no long-term benefit. So, and you know wow. what it does? Okay, so I Strengthening have a and using it. Yeah, like strengthening and using. So anyway, I make shoes that allow you to do that, um, but you can do it without shoe. You know, you don't have to buy my stuff. Like I, yeah. I'd like, I have a question. I literally, yeah. Because I know of people that are getting orthotics for children that are like two and three. And with what you're saying, this doesn't sound like a good move for someone to do to their toddler. That's correct. So, and, but a lot of it, it's, it's a more complicated thing because we, you also have to have the knowledge of how to find the right footwear, how to actually use the foot uh, in, and I mean, naturally as a child, you're going to know it's going to happen. Uh, as adults, we have a lot of stuff to correct, um, but it it comes around to running and playing without some shoes on and doing so like in a grassy backyard where it's going to mold and have a lot of stuff like moving it around. Um, it's it's that simple. You know what? Shoes are very valuable. So don't get me wrong. Like shoes protect you right. from the environment. Right, they cut, right. They protect you from cuts and scrapes and pointy things and hot hot rocks or in our environment, hot pavement that's going to burn the piss out of you. Like you need them, but um, you want uh, something that allows the foot to move as best as possible. And if you don't, you know, you're going to throw on, like my wife will throw on some heels to go out for dinner. You know, if we want, you know, she wants to look nice, like that's fine. But, you know, she's still going to do some time, you know, doing some of her training without a shoe or, you know, like, so I'm not like this ultra purist, but right. I lifted, no, but I, I, I lifted I mean, barefoot for six years with not trying to sell a damn thing. Right. My thousand pound squat and my thousand pound deadlift are barefoot. And if you watch any of my training, you'll see wow. I'm just straight barefoot because I'm not, I don't need to sell you shoes, but people were coming to me going, 
because I started releasing all the content of how to mobilize the foot, use the foot, strengthen the foot, be able to control the foot and ankle complex. And people are like, well, I'd love to do some of that, that training as well, just the training, but my gym doesn't allow me to train without shoes. So, so, so I designed shoes and started a shoe company. So <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so guys, if you're looking for minimalist moccasins that are like walking barefoot and are good for your shoes, because this man has also studied how our feet move, definitely check this out. Okay. Yeah, it's so, a B B E A R. So yeah. <laughs> so where how do we get from okay, we've got your childhood, we've got, you know, you getting into school, all this stuff happening, you're lifting, you're being, you know, Mr. Strength and Mr. Strong and running companies. What made you decide I have to put this all in a book? Well, all my companies are built around the physical aspect of strength. And it is one component. It is really important that everybody, I believe, has a physical culture aspect in their life. It doesn't need to be what I do, but it's you need to have something like that to, to be healthy. And, but the other aspects are the, the mental you know, side of things, the emotional side of things, the spiritual side of things. And those are just as equally as important. Like it's important that you go challenge your body, but it's important that you go challenge those other areas. And it's a philosophy. That's what I learned is that's how I was good at leading people. That was how I was good at bringing change in people's lives and bring people change in people's lives and you bring change in organizations. And that's, that's what I did. And it's really kind of connecting those dots. And I, and I'm like, I had told portions of my story through the years and every time I'd done, it also had a, a pretty profound impact on people from an inspiration and motivation piece, but it was a way for me to articulate the messages and the introspection that I wanted to see people have to help them look inward and understand what their values are and understand that stress challenge, even trauma, the things that have happened to you in life, they're, they don't define you. There are things that have happened to you, but you're defined by your actions and responses to those things. And in fact, I don't want to disregard, like if you've had trauma in your life, that it's, that it can be bad and not have, you know, but if it's already happened, like, why not use what you can from it to become a better, stronger version of yourself so you can be ready for the future challenges. So just like you go into a gym and you do some curls and you do them a couple of times a week, every week, and your arm gets stronger and it can handle more load. It can handle more frequency. You're doing good. The same thing in our life with every other aspect of, of stress. Like if you don't approach challenge, you get soft. I mean, this is, this is the philosophy of living things. It is, it cannot be denied. This is adaptation to imposed demand. Even a, even a, even a tree is, it, it, it is affected by this. If a tree grows in an environment protected from, well, grows in a, in a place where there is no environment that damages it, no wind, uh, no beating elements against it, it's gonna to grow to a certain height and it will fall over. 
because it didn't have the wind beating against it, telling it, hey, dig deep into the ground, those roots wide and strong and and, and tap. Like, this is fact, it's been proven. Um, You know, build an outer crust, that bark that's gonna be resilient. Like, we don't, so, so we don't want, you may want a life of, of comfort to, to retire early on a beach in a Caribbean or whatever, but that's actually the start of the end. We need that time to refill our cup. So just like you need time to rest and recover and eat well and sleep from, from a training session, right? But life's not about the sleeping. Life is about the output, right? And that challenge is what actually creates growth. It's what creates life. The resistance of challenge is what creates life. And so um, I wanted to articulate those points. And I, my story is a great way to, to articulate that. And so I use my book not as a, oh, my woe is me story, but as a piece to articulate these messages and send people on this, you know, for them. What is, what is the things, is they're seeking that challenge? Like what, what direction are they going to go? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if you've got those opportunities in front of you, you need to turn into them, whether it's a, a difficult conversation with a boss or a partner, a family member, a project that you're scared of taking on, maybe going back to school, right? whatever it is, like it may not have necessarily a successful outcome, but it does have the outcome of making you stronger to know you stood up and you overcame that and you're ready for the next thing. And it could be a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then next thing you know, you're like, where I'm at, where I've had achieved significant success in business, leadership, athletics, entrepreneurship. And that wasn't going to happen when I was 18 years old. No, I had another 20 years of like building to the level that I could take on those challenges. Right, right. right. It's all stair-stepping. And so I I felt it really important. Like it's that I address those other, because it comes down to distilling it down to like our motto at Kabuki strength. It's living better through strength. And so in other words, I, you're not, you're saying but, those people that say, well, you know what? I'm too old to do this. I'm too, you know, I've, I've, I've gone past my prime. So in other words, use all of that to make yourself better. Yes. One yes. thing that I found really interesting was you call yourself the CVO instead of the CEO, the chief visionary officer. Why is that? Well, that's because because uh, somebody else is the CEO <laughs> or the president or whatever that runs the operations of the company. I focused on the forward thinking vision of the company. Um, you know, looking at the world where it's at today and where I see things going and the gaps and the things that are missing and product design and education direction and I work in more of a mentorship uh, role uh, within my companies. I actually have, outside of um, you know majority stake in ownership, I have no authority. Uh, I have no reports. I I am a visionary. That's what I do. It sounds like really freaking cheesy, but I did the running companies before thing, and um, it was actually a hard hard shift to full for makeup because I'm very good at those things, but I need to spend more time in that creative brain, creative space. And so 
that has uh, been a role that I've I've shifted into. I was still up and through uh, last year responsible for the operational uh, side of the business and engineering, but I've fully handed that off to uh, to our VP of operations, who reports to our CEO. Uh, so it's. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Most people are quite surprised by it because they automatically expect, well, you would want to be CEO. You'd want to be the one running. And I'm right, like, right, right. Because that's what we're always to- told, you know, you want to be the CEO. You want to be the one running everything. Yeah. And so, no, I'm not of any one of my three companies. Um, I, uh, so, but everything that all those companies do and are going to have them at like my, my plan, it's a big, big plan, but I want to change the entire face of fitness as well as all the way through with the integration with clinical care assessments, all of this and have a one cohesive ecosystem of how we manage the data for how clients are adapting to training, how we're assessing on a clinical approach, how we're assessing on an intake from a training approach, how training and clinical communicate to each other, which they don't right now. Um, and then how all those systems work on a principle-based approach to human movement and adaptation to load. And that is, it sounds like a lot. Uh, and I literally had to develop tools and methodology and invent things that didn't exist to, uh, is a, just to start as a base level. And that's what I'm doing right now until I actually start creating how all this stuff actually links together. So it, uh, it takes a lot of time to map that out in your head. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. Wow. So, okay. One, because you and I talked and you said that one of your companies does a, a class throughout the year where they're doing, you know, but you also have free change management. What is that? Yeah. So let's cover a couple of things. So I have a, when we talk about the principles of uh, all my companies are education based first, we offer free education across the board on massive, like Kabuki Strength. I've got a 10-person team that produces content every day for free on how to move and how to feel better and how to how to train. And <laughs> it's it's incredible. Some of the best content you'll see. And you can find it on the Kabuki Strength YouTube. And you can find it on the Kabuki Virtual Coaching Instagram page. All right. Those are free resources that we put out all the time. Now we do have some paid that has even more context. It's like 10 bucks a month or something like it for a subscription-based service. Um, Anyway, you can link through to that stuff if you're interested into it, but I'd just start people like, just look at the quality of a content and what what we produce out there um, uh, on human movement and how to live better through strength. And um, that's what I, I believe in is like, educate people fully around the concepts that you believe in. And if you have tools and education or coaching that will take that another step further there, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll buy them. Maybe they won't. Um, but, uh, that's, that's what we do. It's, uh, it's an interesting play because most people would not invest so many, so much resources, um, into that. Cause I've got like a whole video production team and, you know, they're, you know, editing and filming and all this stuff that's always going on. And uh, we offer it all for free. And 
but we do seminars that are really in-depth. So this, you know, the stuff that we put out is snippets of pieces that are really usable, but to actually understand the full system and how it works together. Mm -hmm. Our team travels around uh, the U.S. Well, it would be around the globe, but, you know, we got to get back from this COVID thing, right? Um, and puts on seminars. Uh, they're, and they're, you know, basically what's well, called the principles of loaded movement is the first one. And then there's uh, uh, three of them. They're two days apiece. Um, you could advance further if you want, if you actually work in the, uh, in the field, but the principles of the loaded movement is covers so much stuff about how we move under load and how you can get out of pain. And, um, and, and so, yeah, uh, you can see that just look, look for Kabuki education, either of those platforms that I just mentioned, YouTube or Instagram will direct you there as well, um, where you can see what the seminar dates are. And we do virtual coaching online. I'm doing, so I'm doing uh, prepping for my next book and literally I'm offering it in a condensed video version for free right now as I'm building it out. So I am filming every week uh, about a 20 to 30 minute piece that covers the contents of each chapter of the book and I'm putting it out there for free. It is, the title of the book is going to be Create Shit, Do Shit, and Live Beyond the Extremes, uh, the uh, Unconventional Executive's Guide to Business and Life. But it wow. is this uh, piece on change management that we're talking about, like internal change, as well as how you do it within a group or an organization. And so it's if you go on my Instagram, uh, you will see you have to click if the guides piece. But under guides, you'll see um, a bunch of videos in a series. And one of those, you'll see a big header on there says change management. Um, go ahead and just follow it and watch the videos. Uh, I think awesome. you'll find it entertaining. And so um and there's uh, some working pieces that go with that, actually. So actually, let me throw this out. Uh, just go to my website, uh, my personal website, Chris Duffin. That's like muffin, but with a D. All right. ChrisDuffin.com. Okay. Uh, sign up uh, for the email for the email list and you will get the first half of my book for free. The Eagle, the current book. OK, Uh it won't happen immediately, uh, getting that set up right now, but uh, it should happen in the next couple of weeks. You'll get that for free. You'll also, uh, as the, the, the working pieces for the next book come out, the forms and things like that that you could use, uh, they'll be sent to you uh, and it'll sign you up for the educational content from the other businesses uh, as well. It'll go through that. But first half of my book for free. If you want to listen to my book on audio, there's a link if you sign up for an audio, audio, audible account uh, on my site, you'll get my book and one other book for free. So that's a pretty good deal, but um, you have to sign up for a thing. That's why I'm like, here's, I'll just give you half my book for free. Um, so uh, that's the, uh, the Eagle part. So anyway, um, there's that links to all my websites are on there. If you want to check that out. So yeah. Anyway. Well, Chris doesn't know he's guys. Remember he's speaking our language. I keep telling people I'm fluent in English, Spanish and free. So yeah, <laughs> he is definitely speaking our language. So even just getting the training for free, half of the book for free. And remember, all of his information will be in the show notes. So if you missed anything, you won't miss it because it's there. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, I, I'm just... I'm a terrible salesman because I really just am so passionate about these things and these principles. I just want to reach as many people as possible. It's not like I, I need to give my book away for free. It's a bestseller uh, as it, as it stands right now, but I, 
I, I want to touch as many people as I can with the messages and things that uh, I've learned because I've had an interesting scope and uh, an eclectic uh, education that's really brought about some uh, uh, theories and things that uh, we haven't seen out there in pulling pulling it together. And right, right. if you got any questions about its credibility, you'll see that the best of the best in their disciplines in the world back what I do. Okay, guys, if you're wondering, he's not only backed by The Rock, he's backed by people in the UFC. I mean, I'm seeing actors, I'm seeing everybody. So everyone is using this, you know? It's that thing that your mom tells you, how can it be everyone? Yes, everyone's backing him. I'm just saying, you know, that thing we were told not to say when we were little. Yes, everyone's (laughs) doing it. You know, not jumping off a bridge, but everybody's doing this. (laughs) <laughs> yep. Everybody that's in the know about uh, human movement, they or and has access to the best of the best. If they have the opportunity, they use our stuff. That's that's it. So it's uh, yeah, we just need the rest of the world to catch up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So also your book is available on Amazon as well, correct? Yep. Uh, Amazon, Barnes Noble, I think Target.com. Um, I'm sure there's other ones. So, yeah. Uh, Amazon, you've got uh, paperback, hardcover, and the ebook. If people want signed copies of my book, if you order them off Kabuki Strength, uh, both the hardcovers and paperbacks off of there are signed. Nice, nice. And if you guys know and you are checking out the, out, the Eye of Sauron at Target, you know, if you've listened to past episodes, you know why I call it the Eye of Sauron. Definitely make sure the book is in your basket. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm trusting it. Like people will get so much out of it. Like it sounds cheesy when I say, Hey, it's a life-changing book, you know, but there for a lot of people, it is like the stories, the emails, the messages I get, like of how, what it's done for people is, is huge. And it's, uh, it's, it's not by me telling people how to live. It's the way of approaching having people look internally at the introspective piece and and guiding the questions so that uh it, it brings about change as well as some inspiration and motivation that always helps too right so uh, um, but, uh man it uh it's really it's really done some amazing things for people wow wow so chris it has been amazing having you and again people his information will be in the show notes so you won't miss a thing yep and social media same thing you can just type chris duffin muffin but with a d you'll find me on those platforms i got the little blue check thing next to me on facebook and instagram uh also on uh, linkedin because uh, i deal with a whole lot of professionals out there of course of course so oh my gosh again thank you so much chris it has been amazing having you thank you it's been some good conversation So guys, I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. And to find out how to get some awesome Kabuki items and other amazing things that Chris has going on in his businesses, definitely check out his information in the description below. But as always, guys, be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and happy shopping. Hey, this is Chewy, host of Screaming Chewy Show podcast, and you're currently listening to CQP Moments. Stay tuned.